fire. It's amazing and wonderful and a blessing, isn't it? Now, throughout my life, I've loved sitting around a fire pit or a campfire with family and friends and simply talking and reflecting upon things that matter. And as children, how many of us have treasured roasting marshmallows or, or creating a mess with s'mores? Think about geography and things like the Hawaiian Islands that exist because of red hot fire or lava. How about hamburgers, hot dogs, and grilled vegetables? Fireworks and hot water heaters and sparks that make cars move. Yes, fire is a wonderful thing, but there is a flip side, as we all know. Sometimes a horrible, terrible, tragic reality comes from fire. Fire kills, maims, destroys, upends. Fire calls, causes all kinds of pain, not just physical. How is it that something so wonderful can be so horrible? But I guess that's true for a lot of things in life. Thoughts can create or devastate. Words can enlighten or sting. Hands can help or harm. Water can bring about life or flood. Winds can be cooling or tornadic. Minds can bring about good or unspeakable evil. Yes, there are a lot of things in life that have flip sides, and fire is certainly one of them. As I put pen to paper this week, I had no idea what was going to happen with the Grizzly Creek fire that's nearby in Glenwood Canyon and beyond. It is bad. It's dangerous. And our firefighters and evacuees and others need our continual big-time prayers at this time. It and other fires burning reflect the terrible side of fire. Sure, sometimes wildfires are productive in that they add health to the ecosystem, but not when fires destroy or have the potential to inflict terrible destruction. Now, I'm not a botanist. I love trees, trees of all kinds. And I have a special affection for pine trees, and while I can't necessarily identify more than a few, I know there are a bunch of different types of pines. Lodgepole pines are really cool. Here's some excerpts from what one person writes about lodgepole pines. When lodgepole pines grow in areas where fire is likely, their cones are tightly sealed. The cones have a thick, sticky resin on the outside so that the seeds inside are locked in tightly. Lodgepole pine cones are serotonous. The word serotonous means a seed that requires a trigger to be released. And for lodgepole pines, the trigger is heat or fire. So when a fire hits, the seeds are released and new trees grow after the fire and because of the fire. Saying all this in another way, serotonous pine cones create new life after a fire. They allow for new beginnings to come from destruction, good to come from bad, new life to come from devastation. And as creation tells us a lot about our creator, I believe serotonous pine cones have something to say to us about God. God who made such pine cones to begin with. As I shared in our Mountaineer this week, which is our weekly newsletter, which you can sign up for, 
I see our loving God as a serotonous God. Like a pine cone that bursts and spreads seeds after a fire so new life comes about, God takes what is broken and destroyed, hurting, awful, terrible, and bad, and turns such things, transforms such things into blessings, new beginnings, what is whole and right and true. We have a God that takes what is bad and turns it into good, even if it takes a long time in our time, our human time, to begin to see it. Scripture is packed full of stories of God turning what is bad into good. So for a few moments, let's take a look at some examples. And think of this as a little slideshow now. I'm going to flip through some stories here that illustrate this point that God turns bad into good. And let's start with the Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures and some stories that may be familiar. A woman named Naomi and her husband had to move a long way from home. Things were bad, so they packed up and took their two sons with them. A tough time, to say the least. In their new community, their two sons married, but not long after, the father died. And some more time passed, and the two sons died, leaving three women in a state of grief. Talk about an awful deal. And one day, Naomi decides to return to her hometown. She insists that her two daughters-in-law stay put. But one of them, Ruth, refuses and sticks with Naomi. It's a painful, sad, and scary time. But God had plans to turn bad into good. Ruth meets a wonderful man and marries. And God took what was bad and brought about tremendous blessings. A fellow named Haman was power-hungry, manipulative, manipulative self-serving, and deceitful. This guy Haman would do anything to get ahead in life, regardless of the cost to other people. Haman's power and influence grew, as did his ego. But a man named Mordecai refused to put up with Haman's stunts for recognition and control. And in response, Haman sets up a terrible plan to have Mordecai and all of his fellow Jews killed in an act of revenge. Then in the midst of this crisis, there was a woman named Esther her heart was in the right place. And one day it became clear that she needed to act with courage, and she did so in order to thwart Haman's murderous plans. God took Haman's vicious nature and created an opportunity for Esther to act with amazing, life-altering courage. God took what was bad and brought about blessings for Esther and her people. A fellow named Nehemiah was living in exile along with all of his fellow countrymen. It was a terrible time. People had died. Everyone had lost something or someone. All were living in a strange place in far less than ideal conditions. People were fractured. And one day Nehemiah is given permission from those holding him in exile to return home. And Nehemiah does so, and when he arrives, he discovers his hometown is decimated. Nehemiah, facing impossible odds, gathers and leads those who remain in his hometown to, to get unified, to get motivated, to get to work. And God took a divided people and through Nehemiah created a unified community with a shared purpose. God took what was bad and brought about blessings. 
Then let's look at some slides in the New Testament. First, in Luke chapter 7, we encounter the story of a woman who is broken. I have the sense that she was not only very unhappy, but filled with guilt, shame, and remorse, and not just for a few things in life, but for many. We are told that she had lived a sinful life. Not just a few mistakes, but a lifetime of them. The woman hears Jesus is having dinner at a nearby house. She goes to the house and enters, and when she stands near Jesus, she weeps, and then she kneels, and her tears wet Jesus' feet. And Jesus responds with love, forgiveness, encouragement, and releases the woman from all that had weighed her down. Now the hosts of the dinners, of course they were regular churchgoers, are ticked off that Jesus treats the woman so well, and while the hosts are filled with anger and spite, the woman leaves the house restored. And in this story, God takes what had been a rough life, a hard life, and opens the door for a new start, healing, hope, and freedom. And God reminds all people through this story and through the tough times that this woman went through that the moment at hand and tomorrow matter not what we are looking at in our rearview mirror that is diminishing our life right now. God took what was bad and turned it into blessings. In Matthew chapter 8, we find a military officer. He seeks out Jesus, a guy who works for the officer is sick. In fact, we're told that the man had been suffering terribly. The military officer tells Jesus what had been happening, and Jesus says, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, just give the command, and I know that my friend will be well. The man is healed, and Jesus uses the story to teach us about the power of faith and the importance of trust. And through the story, God takes what was an awful situation and uses it to bring about the blessings of healing and faith. How about Paul and his story? Paul had a lot of passion. He was zealous. And before we met Jesus, Paul was a vigorous defender of his faith. And he went about it in very cruel, hateful ways. To Paul, you were either in or out, right or wrong, on target or missing the mark. There was no gray for Paul. He spoke of and he focused upon the sins of other people. He condemned and challenged and caused great emotional and physical pain in the lives of others. But then Paul met Jesus. And God took a man who was incredibly misguided and transformed Paul's zealousness, zealousness for being right into a passion for spreading the news of the love and forgiveness of Jesus. God took a person who was way off base and narrow-minded and transformed him into a blessing, an astonishing embracing for us all. And how about Jesus? Jesus, who was hung up on a cross and killed. But God had something else in mind. God took death and turned it into resurrection. He took the end and turned it into a new beginning. And he takes our death and transforms it into eternal life. God certainly takes what is bad and turns it into an amazing good. And finally, back to the Hebrew scriptures, there's the story from our reading today. Here's a very quick summary. We may remember that Jacob had 12 sons. One of the 12, Joseph, was a pain in the you-know-what. Had mirrors been around at the time, we know who he would have loved looking at the most. 
And not only was he impressed with himself, but he demanded that his brothers be equally enthralled with his greatness. And as the story goes, his brothers got fed up so much so that one day they sold Joseph off as a slave to some traveling vagabonds. And in his new homeland, Joseph goes on a roller coaster ride of new experiences and life experiences and emotions. He went through the bad, the good, and the ugly. From the good life to prison to being on the receiving end of all kinds of things people do to each other, many of which aren't very good, Joseph endured it all. And years later, one, due to, one day due to a famine, his brothers show up. Little did they know it was Joseph in front of them. And a bit later in the book of Genesis, Joseph says to his brothers, in essence, long ago you meant to do me harm. You wanted what is bad for me. Yet God took your ill intentions and turned it into something amazing. Joseph's life story is a clear example of how God uses what is bad and transforms it into something good. And there are countless examples from the beginning to the end of Scripture that illustrate this point. So where does this leave you? Where does this leave me right now today with all the good, the bad, and the ugly around us? What does it have to say to us about COVID, fires, social upheaval, and a very strange time? Well, there are a few things I invite us to think about and take away from our time together this morning. The first is that God asks us to trust that God only wants what is good for us. And this is a theme of all of Scripture, and it's something that reflects the experiences of countless people over the centuries. God is serotonous. God takes the fires we go through and brings about blessings, new beginnings, new life, hope, fresh starts, sometimes in ways we never imagined possible. God takes our eventual deaths and creates new eternal life in an incomprehensibly beautiful way. But the hard thing is that God is, does things on God's timeline, not ours. And as I think about the painful passages in my own life, I am very glad that some of what I was praying for and what I was asking for at the time did not happen. As I reflect upon the hurt I have endured, I realize that God used the hurt to mold me into who I am now. As I ponder some really tough things, it did not end well. And no matter how you cut it, those things were really awful. I know God has brought about blessings through those experiences. And as you reflect back upon your life, can you see blessings that have come from what you have gone through? Not that the bad was good. Again, not that the bad was good. Bad is bad. But that good came from what was bad. Doesn't it often take time, sometimes a lot of time, to see and know this? And aside from trusting that God brings about good from bad, that it happens on God's timeline, not ours, through it all, I believe God knows that we're human and invites us all to allow ourselves to be very human. You know, the Bible is a book that contains a description of every conceivable human emotion. And I think those emotions and the stories in Scripture are there to remind us 
that sometimes we need to emote and not simply stuff what we are feeling. Scripture is clear. Faith does not equate with being stoic. Being stoic has nothing to do with faith. As people of faith, we are called not to spin things or minimize our emotions or hide our feelings. Our raw emotions, when expressed to God, our raw emotions, when shared with people who are trustworthy, these are acts of faith. God wants us to take all that is inside to God, and blessings and release happen when we do this. Now, part of one way that we emote with God is to emote with God in prayer. To pray in raw ways with God, using your own words. God, this is such a brutal time. I hate it. I am hurting. I see no good happening right now. God, help me to trust that you will bring about blessings and good things from what is happening. Help me to be patient and to wait on you. Give me the eyes to see what you are doing. Prayer is a beautiful place to emote and to emote with God. And just one more thing. I don't know who came up with this image. Lots of different people talk about it. I've spoken about it before in sermons. I continue to talk about it because I believe it's helpful. And I believe it's a helpful image now. You may too. When you look at the back of a tapestry, you will see threads going in every which direction. It's a total mess when you look at the back of a tapestry. It's a disastrous mess. It looks like something a kindergartner would put together. But when you turn the tapestry over, you will see a beautiful pattern that makes complete sense that would not be present without the mess on the other side. But boy, can it be hard to see on the backside and tough to imagine what messed up threads can actually look like on the other side. But I believe this is a great metaphor for our serotonous God we may not like what we see. We may see just a mess. We may not even like a particular thread that we're having to deal with. But God asks us to trust that there's a beautiful pattern unfolding, even if we cannot see it at the moment. As the song said, things may not always be as they seem. I know I may be getting repetitious as I close, but I don't much care for this virus. I don't care what it's doing to people and decimating lives in all kinds of ways. I don't like the pain that it's causing. I'm certainly not happy about the fires around that are scaring the wits out of a lot of people, the danger that firefighters are in. I don't care for social distancing and the lack of ability to give people hugs. I, I like giving people hugs. It's, it's part of my nature. But I won't because I love you all. I'm not happy about college football going away this fall. Not just because it's fun, but I think that national pastimes, even if you're not a sports fan, are healthy for a nation. They're a place where people can come together, not around political party, but around teams. And countless people make a living working at such events. But through all this stuff and through ever whatever else might be going on in our lives individually, God is working to turn what is bad into blessings, wonders, 
new opportunities, new life, new perspectives, new and better ways of doing things, including church. God is at work turning what is bad into what is good. That's God's job. That is what God does. Now it's our job to let go and to trust that God is a serotonous God. My friends, good will come for bad. Good will come from bad. So together, why don't we just patiently wait and see what happens? And let us pray.